The year is 1966. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Variant cover. Here at Comic Book Reading Club, I'm Dave, the Comic Book Master Planner, and alongside Zach, the Purple Henchy, we'll cover all the essential Marvel stories from its origin <laughs> to today. This episode, we'll be covering the listener response to 1966. What you don't you don't hear people call uh, call you Henchy? Henchman? <laughs> henchy? That's a little nick, little friendly nickname for a henchman. We're, we're just making up words. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. that's fine. Hey, did you know? Did you know this is a special episode of My Marvelous Year? Oh, no. Because the, the last time things were special, well, we, it got wet and wild, and I'm real worried what's going to happen this Well, time. yeah, so we usually record late in the night, and things get, uh, things get a little crazy here at My uh-huh. Marvelous Year. Um, but this time, it's bright and early, crack mm-hmm. it on. So welcome to My Marvelous Year, Rise and Shine. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> what's he even cracking? Man, you're an animal. Uh, it's... It's a, it's like a ginger beer. Ginger beer, okay. <laughs> I was thinking more uh, My Marvelous Year, Walk of Shame, <laughs> but, but Rise and Shine <laughs> works better. <laughs> All right, cool. So we made it through the night. Here we are after a long night of comic book reading, and now we're going to talk about everything that we read in 1966, which was an extremely fun year. Um, I hope you guys picked up on, yeah. I think, how much we were enjoying it, honestly, like even just in the episodes. I think it came through a bit more um, as they as they start to improve. So we've got some good listener response here. We've got a poll to talk about. And then uh, we also have some of our patrons uh, that we have made up superheroes for. Zach, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So we, we have a new tier on Patreon. And uh, right off the bat, thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. We just hit our $250 goal to start our quarterly Q&A, and we're going to be rolling that out soon. We started a new tier at the $10 level where uh, we're going to give you a shout out here on the variant cover episodes, and Dave and I have concocted secret identities. You're either your superhero or the supervillain identity that you uh, you choose, which one you want, and then we come up with an idea for you, and we're going to unveil those later in the episode. Also, if you, uh, if you back us for three months at the $15 tier, we're going to commission a unique piece of artwork for that specific hero or villain that we come up for you yeah excited to, to see what you came up with because we haven't told each other our ideas yet yeah i'm really looking forward to this i i gotta say i feel pretty good about mine so yeah me too i'm excited about it okay so this week's patreon poll was what is the worst stan lee trope the worst one okay yeah coming in with zero votes kind of surprisingly to me because this this one bothers me but is recycled plot points i feel like that's something he does a lot and no, it apparently doesn't bother people too much. But yeah, I guess it isn't, doesn't even really bother me that much. <laughs> it just it's something I note. It, it's only really stood out to me when he did that. You are about to destroy the world, so maybe I'll destroy the whole world and you yeah. before you can do it. Thing he did yeah. that a couple times in the course of one year, and that kind of stole the thunder from the second time I read it. But it's it's definitely one of those things that um it really only catches your eye if you're doing the my marvelous year style read everything approach whereas if you're just Mm -hmm. like i'm gonna go back and read some silver age thor like you just wouldn't have (laughs) that experience Mm -hmm. um so yeah i don't 
I, we've talked about it a bit. Like, oh yeah, he's kind of doing the same thing here. Uh, but it's it is also it's like the the guy's writing so many titles. Like, yeah, he's gonna have themes that cross titles. Like, yeah, it's just well, sometimes kind of I mean the, the theme the themes I don't mind. You know, he's got stuff he he does he hits on the it's like literal story beats. Yeah, but right, yeah, exact the the plot plays out in the exact same way. Um, yeah, could swap the dialogue anyway. No votes. Okay, coming in with second to last place, a tie with four votes each is Nonsense Science and Reliance on Deus Ex Machinas. And you and I are split on Nonsense Science because it irks me some of the time, and you love it, right? It's just fun. It's To me, that is pure comic book nostalgia that, um, that is always fun. Yes. Yeah. Um, Reliance on Deus Ex Machinas, that's something that bugs us both, where <laughs> in the, yeah. the last page, someone comes up and is like, oh, well, I made the anti-Galactus gun. <laughs> shoots Galactus with it, and that's the end of the issue. Or literally... Rick Jones rounding up with the the anti Hulk pill that he pulled out of his pocket, and that's yeah. the solution to two pages of Hulk action, or it's two, often two issues of Hulk action. Right, it's often unsatisfying. I think as as story ends go, it is fascinating though because obviously we've talked about it a bunch where it's like twenty one pages, and you're like, how this story cannot end? <laughs> like we're in the middle of it, and then they'll use the last page. Like just the speed with which they resolve things is always astounding um i don't i don't Mm -hmm. necessarily pin that one on lee as much either because i think a lot of times it's like that's the that's the plot and the structure that like kirby laid out you know so like credit where it's due he was doing more of the pacing um but then fault where it's due (laughs) he left all the resolution for you know the last three panels or whatever Mm -hmm. um all right so this this was definitely our closest poll right here at the top with 10 votes we have casual sexism Slash the sad sack male protagonist, and this was this was kind of contentious. A lot of people were really. Um, I thought this would be the runaway winner, actually. Yeah. Um, and they, uh, but then we we got some people talking about how well I agree that it's a problem, but maybe it's not a Stan Lee trope as much as just mm. a trope of writing at the time. Mm. Which I don't know. I think that's something we could talk about, right? Like how much is this Stan Lee? Because I I have this idea that Stan Lee is going to get more progressive as time goes on. And he's, he's pretty yeah. progressive when it comes to like civil rights, stuff like that. Um, he, he starts to gain that voice more um, at definitely as time goes on. And I think we're starting to see a little bit of it. Um, I, I always wonder with him how much of it, but, but what about with women, right? Like does, does he, does he, does it ever show that he, well, did- that's just, that's just a Marvel problem. Like that is, that is a Marvel problem today. <laughs> in, mm, sure. in the year of 2019 you know what i mean like it's just not it, this starts as a very male superhero universe i don't think certainly the casual sexism that we would view like that don draper style madmen like this mm. is the way of the world sexism um that stuff fades out definitely as as our culture has changed in in american yeah. storytelling and just america um but I think, like in terms of representation and just characters, like that is still a battle, and and I think now the battle in a lot of ways is like actual female voices um, and creators actually working mm-hmm. on the titles, right? So it's it, that's obviously a much bigger thing than just Stan. Uh, I I think we can hold him accountable for doing a pretty poor job with with representing women um, and and writing them in these issues. Mm-hmm. I, you can have all, and I, we probably had this exact conversation. You can have all of the well for the time arguments that you want, but the fact of the matter is he wasn't doing it better 
something for the time. Like if that was the average, fine, but he wasn't doing it better. And but this I think is also he, it's not even he wasn't doing it better. Like there there were cultural movements happening right now and have had been happening. Like this this kind of second wave feminism was in its like peak right now, happening mm-hmm. where, you know, that's specifically discussing women's place in the home, you know, as a wife and like them not being um what's the word pigeonholed as a housewife them being able to work in a workplace for you know equal work for equal pay like all these things were being discussed at large in the culture in american u.s culture uh at the time so that sometimes it does feel like in defiance of of that kind of discussion that i'm sure was happening and it's gonna get worse we're in 66 some of the worst stuff we read is in 67 and 68 like, have we done some, some, ha, have the listeners heard our no we haven't heard our one act play of reading no, two not yet, yet right like it's 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 gonna be galling like <laughs> yeah yeah so it gets worse yeah. i i think um yeah i think it's just like i think sue storm and reed richards their dynamic is the clearest indication of this um mm-hmm. i don't think like i don't think we're reaching too much <laughs> to say like reed is a chauvinist pig and that there's like a general and he's also like it's portrayed as like sort of heroic manly behavior you know right. as opposed to yeah. like vilifying him in the way that we would read it the way that we do read it today so yes we're reading something 2019 that was written in 1966 or 1967 we're gonna notice things they didn't notice right like this is this is the way of the world we we notice things in 2009 now that stand out to us a decade later right sure it, and yeah. it's just like taste change i think like I don't know, if we're getting much bigger, like Twitter in particular has shifted a ton of this where people are just way more cognizant of issues and sort of like offensive behavior um, mm-hmm. for better or worse in some instances, right? So, and, and the way that, that that is kind of just like the underlying status quo, it might not even be explicit, but just the subtext of it, right? Like, I, I mean, the example I, I just was using in the Slack is I'm reading 52 by DC right now. Mm-hmm which is 2005, 2006, I think. And like sexuality is not a part of that comic. Like character's sexuality is so far removed from the actual plot machinations of what's happening. But it's still like the way that the female superheroes are drawn is just so underlining their physical form in a way that the males do not get in the same way. Right. And it's just like, but it kind of fades in the background. It's just what you expect. It's just that kind of like subtext that yeah it's the status quo anyway that's going to be another conversation because we're talking about sexism in a way that the characters are sidelined the women are sidelined but like to be fair they're not uh they're not like hyper sexualized and they're not quite um objectified that's true that's true that's that's an interesting point and we're gonna we're gonna get to that and that's gonna really (laughs) if you're already tired of us calling this out sorry i'm gonna get real grumpy about that later i'm sure yeah yeah i mean i think like Honestly, it's a because okay, like we both I think really love Stanley. <laughs> like yeah, I know yeah, for yeah. myself, yeah, sure. And I don't think it's malicious behavior, um, definitely. So, like you can say, well, that's worse. That's that's doesn't excuse it. And I I'm open to listening well, to all I that. Mean, I, I I don't get the idea. He was like he had an axe to grind. That that maybe that's that's what you mean. Like it didn't seem like some kind of comics gate thing where like <laughs> I'm including this just to trigger the libs. Like <laughs> No, no, definitely <laughs> that, not. That it's just like, like no, it didn't. it's just how he it's just how he wrote. It's just how he yeah. told the story. And how he kinda like you get a little bit of his POV. But um yeah, anyway, I didn't really we might have to cut some of this because I don't want to go like deep into 
sexism between like two guys talk about sexism for, for the majority <laughs> yeah. of this opening. So if you have opinions on it, write to us at mymarvelousyear at gmail.com. Especially if you're if you're female, like if you if you're female and you have some thoughts about this, please let us know because I'd love to hear some more like female voices on this. So yeah, I, I think I understand why that does well. I guess is really all I wanted to say, and instead I talk for eight minutes. <laughs> no, no, it, I think it's interesting, and this, this was definitely the most conversation we've had around um, a poll question i think pretty much because of that so that was our number two choice our number one with 11 votes is overwritten prose and i think this is pretty self-evident yeah stanley liked to write a lot of text uh i, I think i talked about it the other day where i think i wouldn't be surprised if he had the idea that more text and more writing equaled better value <laughs> yeah know? yeah like it, just a very old-fashioned idea of what a good valued comic book well, is. Well, see, that's yeah, it's not... it's got a ton of writing. I don't know that that's that old-fashioned because... Oh, well, yeah. I've I, Okay, so, like, I actually re- distinctly remember um, Kevin Smith wrote a Green Arrow story called Quiver. And in the introduction to that, like, trade paperback, he has an essay about doing it. And one of the things he says is, like, I wrote a ton so that people were getting the maximum value. So it was like, you know, basically the idea of like, if you shelled out, you know, probably what was like $1.99 at the time um, for for this comic, you'd get a ton to read. Of words. Yeah, you'd get ridiculous. a ton of words. No, it's totally that. But that's that's in 2000. You know what I mean? So I don't, I don't think that's an attitude that is like totally unique to Stan. Um, no. I think that's more of a comics thing. And it's just like a different, there are writers who feel that way. There are writers who are like, I'm going to write a ton so you can see how much I'm writing <laughs> to tell you, to give you value. And then there are writers like Warren Ellis today who'd be like, here's seven pages of action with no words. And yeah. I, I do admit, admit, I'll read those and I'll be like, is he phoning it in? And usually by the end of the issue, I don't think so. Um, he's truly letting the artist do their thing. And I don't, there's a balance between those two approaches. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there are, I mean, there are comics that have tons of text that it feels like it should be there. Like it adds something to the story. And then there's tons where it's just like, oh, I can already, I mean, specifically with Stan, I can see what's happening, Stan. You don't need to tell me. Yeah, <laughs> You know, right. like he's he's just narrating what we're looking at. Uh, yeah, we see this with, I just saying, um, you see this with video games a lot now where people equate hours played to dollar value yeah right like this game has 60 hours of content that's that's a great value for your money to me it's just like that's terrifying like give me (laughs) an eight hour game done i'm so thrilled i think i just played resident evil 2 and it was like seven and a half hours and i was so happy (laughs) it was like such a nice little package same with comics like that's an interesting comparison point like at comics today yeah, if somebody's like, this issue takes an hour and 15 minutes to read. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want that issue. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, I, I don't know. I think that's part of their, there's like a cultural thing there where like, honestly, it's TV, it's video games, it's comics. It's like, I there's so much media and there's so much mm-hmm. good media that I'm like, I want to get through as much of it as possible. And there's never enough time to do so with things sure. like life and family and work and all this. And um, it, I think there's value in in like brevity, <laughs> in brevity, in clarity, yeah. and in in quality over quantity, <laughs> definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's not that's not the era that these comics came in. That's not the mm-hmm. style of these comics. Um, it's gonna take a little while before we get there. Definitely. Like there's a there's a lot of right. Well, you know what is is also interesting is we can read an unlimited amount of comics at any moment, right? Like I can sit down with my tablet and just read mm-hmm. an infinite amount of comics and I will never run out for very little money. 
that's not quite the case in 1966. That's right? not like, that's not the era these were produced in. Totally. Yeah. And, so when you buy something, maybe yeah, maybe it was like, oh, I'll read it over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. This is the mm-hmm. one or two comics that I got this month, and I'm 12 years old, and this means a ton to me to just be able to read this comic. And if I flew through it in four minutes, I would feel totally ripped off. So there right. might be something just to the, the, the actual age of when these came out. Yeah. I, I think it makes sense. I do think it makes them, it makes them less approachable and it makes them mm-hmm. a little harder for people going back. And I've heard this from a million comic book Herald fans. I've heard it from people in my family, like going back to these comics is like, I don't want to read all this because it's not adding anything to the story. Like you don't, yeah, it's like, show don't tell mm-hmm. but you're telling and showing at the same time <laughs> like yeah. in the same panel and then you're doing it nine times on a page so it's it's not super helpful um it's a different style i don't know you have to kind of definitely even as i read these and as somebody who enjoys them i mean there are large swaths where i'll just be like especially the action where i'm just like i'm gonna look at what kirby's doing i'm not right, gonna read yeah. it i'll read the dialogue maybe but i'm not gonna read every caption box because it's not adding oh i don't I don't read the caption boxes at all. Yeah. <laughs> Which actually is a problem when uh, we come into Roy Thomas's Avengers coming up soon. Because Roy Thomas, Stan Lee usually can skip them. And you're not missing out on anything. Roy Thomas puts actual plot and story mechanics in his narrative boxes. Mm. So you start, like, he does time hops and he jumps around in time. Um, and he signifies those usually just in the narration boxes. And yeah. sometimes I get lost because I skip those. And then I'm like, wait, that guy's dead. Oh, no. Oh, this is three days earlier. I missed that box. <laughs> yeah. No, that's an interesting call out um, that he would use those differently. I'll have to keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if I would notice, except that I usually skim over them and I got lost a lot more in right time. I mean, there's other reasons I get lost because those comics have the weirdest pacing. Um, also, Stanley's getting better at this, though. To be fair, like his writing flows a lot better and he is getting more confident in better at what he does especially in spider-man i think spider-man is the height of his craft i think one of the hard things that i have with lee it, and spider-man is i totally agree with that point um one of the hard things i have with him is it's hard to it's hard to compare stan to other writers because there aren't other marvel writers during this era to compare him to so Who like aren't just ripping off his style or trying to not ripping off but like emulating his style well and under oh. his thumb of an editor yeah yeah so who knows if you know he was telling them that you have to write in this Marvel style, which is really yeah. his style, or if it was just, that's how you do it. Yeah. So like, as far as like internal competition goes, there isn't any. Whereas t- like today, if I look at um, Al Ewing or uh, Jason Aaron, let's say like two Marvel writers um, or guys writing Marvel books, like I can say which version and styles I like and what they're doing differently and doing well. Um, but Stan, does, he just doesn't have that like barometer for what what is good. I think you have to jump across the pond and look at like DC and be like, yeah, I Stan's dialogue is a lot more fun than say what's going on in Flash from the UK. What you said it across the pond. DC, right? DC was located in the UK during the '60s. It's a little known fact that actually only <laughs> I know, um, but they were in fact across the pond. Yeah. Well, that that phrase means a thing. You can't just say across the pond. There are ponds in New York. <laughs> was DC also in New York? Yeah, probably. Yeah, they moved to uh, they moved to California like recently. That's like within the last five seven years something like that this was nothing i'm gonna cut this out (laughs) if you think across the pond can mean just across a tiny like street (laughs) three blocks down yeah (laughs) (laughs) then you're on my side instead of a different country yeah no so uh but anyway i guess more my point is like when i'm thinking about stan in terms of like best writers of all time or writers i love it's hard to separate like the ideas and what he's a part of in building 
mm-hmm. from the actual like writing, <laughs> you know, the actual writing ability, uh, which I think is is maybe underrated in some ways. Um, like we pick at it because we can, but it's also because he's doing everything. So he's the only person to pick. Yeah, at. yeah, yeah. I think at some point it maybe I, I maybe he doesn't get enough credit for how much he improves over the years because yeah. I, I don't know if he would be underrated in 1963, but 1968 maybe. Yeah. Okay, well, that was our poll for 1966. Thanks for the participation, everybody. That was a fun one to talk about here and with the community in the Slack. Um, Moving on, we've got some great letters here. I'll start here with the first letter. Okay. Hi, Zach and Dave. 1966 is the year of Galactus. The Galactus trilogy was obviously a landmark in terms of the scope of its villains and the threat he posed. This guy, with his rad headgear and cosmic power, let the cat out of the bag. The country slash planet slash galaxy slash universe destroying threat is well-trod ground in comics for the big two in the years since. In recent years, however, the associations I have with the company-wide crossover events are of endless tie-ins, editorial interference, and unsatisfying endings. What's the official My Marvelous Year party line on crossover events? Are they a fun opportunity to see our favorite heroes come together in cooperation and conflict, or shameless, cynical cash grabs that cheapen a company's characters and brand? I defer to your infinite wisdom, Tyler. Thank you, Tyler. Yeah, good question. I like this one a lot. Um, this one's pretty near you're to gonna the heart. You're going to have a lot more. Yeah, you're going to have more opinions about this because I've read very, very little crossover events. Well, and you probably, you probably haven't really read a lot of like the modern Marvel cycle. So like really no. the Marvel era of crossovers, um, it begins in like 1984, technically, and then it escalates. Is that it, Secret it, Wars? That would be the excellent uh, original 12-issue maxi-series Secret Wars. That, that would be the, the worst thing I've ever read, Secret Wars. Um, but I'm sorry, I couldn't hear those blasphemous claims. It, you just hear static anytime I bet. <laughs> just <laughs> fuzz and static. <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait till we get to that. Like this is I, I've hinted about this to people on the Slack, but that is, I think, by far the thing that we... We split the hardest on is our opinion about Secret Wars. Yeah, we'll be recording separate episodes for um, our discussion <laughs> of Secret Wars. One for me, and then Zach will be recording his own, and we'll never listen to each other's. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you know how that's going to play out. It's the only way this podcast can continue. Yeah, definitely. Um, no, but then what I was going to say is like the modern era of crossovers really like goes up a notch in 2004 with Avengers Disassembled. So everything since that time is like escalating trends to the point that obviously now there's like pretty common understanding that like, you know, in 2017 or something, Marvel had like four crossovers and like mm-hmm. of well, of just like not substantial um, quality necessarily. So anyway, long story short, I'm pretty pro crossover. I really... <laughs> <laughs> I like, like really didn't sound like the setup you were going <laughs> well for. no because because the the definite like the popular opinion the popular vote here is mm-hmm. they are obnoxious they often bring in series that like tie in too loosely they don't really add to the story they might derail mm-hmm. ongoing runs i, I think it's a about common complaint miss marvel a lot right people yeah. are like oh i jumped into miss marvel i've heard it's this great new comic and I'm reading it, and all of a sudden I'm lost because she's involved in some big... She's in Civil War Two, and it doesn't make yeah, sense. And right. now you got to read Civil War Two to understand that. So I think that is kind of annoying, especially... So it's definitely like there's a cynicism and a cash grabbiness to this. That is very true, um, especially if you're pulling like from your local comic shop as single issues. If you're reading on Marvel Unlimited, I always find it a little less annoying because you can hop at your own discretion and you can read as much or as little as you want in one sitting um but if you're actually like pulling the issue and pulling the series 
then it's like, well, great. Like I've got four months of Miss Marvel that's tied in this event that I do not care about. And Civil War II sucks. <laughs> so like, that's not fun. Um, so anyway, but that said, I am, I'm definitely um, playing devil's advocate a little, but I'm actually pretty pro crossover. I like, I really like these big events, even when they have unsatisfying events. I like seeing everyone come together. Obviously, doing Comic Book Herald, I like wrangling the continuity of it and trying to figure out when these issues fit. Because, like, that's the other thing that makes that Marvel makes real confusing if you're collecting in the moment is the release calendar doesn't correlate to, like, how the story should actually flow. Sometimes it's close, but a lot of times it's not. So I when they're done well, I really love them. I will be the first to acknowledge many of them are not done particularly well. I think, actually, here's something nice I'm going to say about Secret Wars. I think I like the way that that conducts itself in that that's a 12-issue miniseries that like wrangles all these different superheroes together right into yes. one big event. But it's actually, it's very separate from all their individual series, yeah. right? So there's one Spider-Man issue, and at the end of it, he enters the secret wars miniseries and then on the next issue of spider-man he's back from it and it's just telling you like hey go check out this miniseries and it feels very separate from the rest and you can read it as its own series yeah. rather than it hijacking a bunch of ongoing series and i i appreciate that like um in dc when identity crisis happens same thing right like it's its own little separate thing and it ties into the wider world but you can read it or not and it doesn't kind of completely muddy the waters for the rest of what's going on yeah i think that's a good point and and really great like praise for secret wars which i think will be coming um in the <laughs> near future as well uh, but the one thing that actually with that idea that i do love and that i think probably the publishers marvel in particular really needs to come around to is there is value much like we were talking about with pros there is value in being somewhat concise and mm -hmm. marvel's events like if you look, so it's, it's wild. Like if you look at Avengers disassembled, it's like, I don't know, like 25 issues tops, you know, main, main events and then tie-ins. Um, and yeah. the tie-ins are kind of, they're a little looser and they kind of do their own thing. By the time you get to civil war, secret invasion, I mean, hundreds, like literal a hundred plus issues, um, of tie-ins. So they, yeah. they just sort of blew it up in a way that is unsustainable and is, is just much harder for anyone to dive into. And I think like, so an event- No one can jump into it. And if you don't like it, well, sorry, the entire line is committed to it. Yeah, right. And then it's like, you know, it's a year of it. So the, an event that I really love is DC Metal, which um, was running through like, I think like end of 2017 into 2018. And mm -hmm. that whole event is like 19 to 20, like main event plus tie-ins. I think that is a perfect number because all of those issues can be good, they can be of quality and they can factor into the story in some measure that isn't totally small. Um, I think that's actually like the sweet spot for a perfect modern event. Uh, Marvel is definitely not taking that approach. War of the Realms is launching today as we record this, and that's going to have probably 100 tie-ins again. Now, wow. as a fan of Jason Aaron's, Aaron's work on Thor with uh, you know Russell Dowderman and Matt Wilson, I'm super pumped for this event. <laughs> like I can't shake the excitement that comes as part of being a fan um, of, of Marvel and like particularly of when there's a good setup that drives to an event as opposed to it just sort of popping in. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm definitely pretty easily hooked. Yeah. Cool.
So that's my events thing. I could keep going on events, but um, yeah, yeah I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely we'll, the guy who's going to stand up for him here and there. We'll, we'll get into this when we actually start reading events, which was, you know, it's about a year away probably till we start cracking into some real events on the podcast. And I've talked before, like, I'm really curious to hear your take on something like the Age of Apocalypse, which is a massive event, but it means a ton to read. So I'm curious to mm-hmm. hear, like, are you feeling it or are you like, oh my gosh, why is there so much Probably totally depends on is this good or not yeah like <laughs> yeah no it's there's some stuff it. that yeah yeah whether or not the quality is there because if it's 100 issues and it's just like i don't care about this at all mm-hmm. then that's going to be a terrible slog yeah yeah um you want to get the next one yeah so this is from chris i just joined my marvelous year this weekend but i did try in 2016 to get involved but i couldn't keep up so i'm reading a lot of these issues for the second time i'm trying to pay attention to artists this time you mentioned Gene Colan penciled Tales to Astonish number 76, but did you notice that from 70 to 76, he was credited as Adam Austin? He was moonlighting from romance comics at DC and didn't want to cause trouble. There's a few times this happens when people are working under a pseudonym and just wanted to point it out. I found it interesting that you called out the lack of backgrounds in Kirby's work and Tales of Suspense because I noticed the same thing with Gene Colan. I suspect that the bullpen was overloaded with both writing and drawing and trying to hire all the new people this year, so I think there were a lot of concessions to deadlines. I can't say I love Colin this year. It's just too sparse and the faces are misshapen and different from panel to panel in a few titles. I understood he was appreciated because he had a different style than Kirby and Ditko, but I don't think it's really on display in 1966. Marvel Unlimited credits this year's Daredevil and Spider-Man to John Romita Jr., but this is actually John Romita Sr. <laughs> nice catch. Daredevil number 12, from Extra Issues, is his first penciling credit at Marvel after doing some inking and covers. He was also drawing romance comics at DC, and since romance titles were selling poorly, he was planning on leaving comics for advertising. Stan was able to talk both Colin and Romita into joining Marvel. Ditko leaving will definitely be missed, but Romita just delivers right out of the gate. One history note. This is also the year the Herald Tribune published the article that led to the Lee and Kirby tension. Lee tried to resolve some of the tension by changing to a joint credit in Fantastic Four number 56, produced by Stanley and Jack Kirby, but this is the beginning of the end for Kirby. Uh, really good letter, Chris. Thank yeah, you. thanks, That's- Chris. I like, yeah, he, he's brought a lot of interesting, like, history to the community right away. Yeah. No, I did, Um. yeah, I think probably didn't talk about it, but I did notice that uh, Colin was using that Adam Austin pen name, and I, yeah, I think as you explained, like, there was just that sort of maybe not totally knowing what Marvel was going to be and not wanting to lose your DC work. Uh, fear, where mm-hmm. artists would use, you know, a pseudonym to try and, try and like, get paid from both ends. Um, and then, obviously, as Colin, I think, became a little bit more of a name, he was like, yeah, I'm just going to go by my own name. So it, it doesn't last too long. But it is an interesting sort of historical, like, rationale for why he would do that. The Kirby and Lee issue, this is something I've read about in the book that – uh, I quite like on the history of Marvel, uh, Marvel Comics, The Untold Story by Sean Howe. Um, they talk about this a bit in there as well. But I, for people that don't know, basically there was an interview with uh, both Stanley and Jack Kirby, and they both were, I think, present and responding. But then <clears> when the article was published, it was clearly very pro-Lee. The Stan Lee show. It was the Stan Lee show, totally. And, um, and Kirby was kind of portrayed as this, like, stodgy quiet cigar smoking grunt in the back Mm -hmm. and i think even though stan didn't write the article it definitely it's credited with seeding a lot of the kind of building resentment between the two um kirby kirby is very different person in a bazillion ways from steve ditko um but he you can tell like 
just in his own career path. And if you read interviews with him later, like this definitely sat poorly with him um, to the point that, you know, eventually, and we got years to go here, but eventually it would mean he would leave Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's interesting. We can, let's, um, I found that article online. Let's put a link to it in the show notes. Good idea. This episode. Yeah. Um, because yeah, it's very interesting and it, I mean, it's a good interview, but you can definitely see that Stan Lee gets the spotlight and I did notice that, but I didn't know why that the issues are now being produced by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. They're getting a little bit more share. He's sharing the credit a little bit more, but yeah, we talk about that um, on the upcoming shows, but the, like, that's a good call out to be like, this is why <laughs> they start doing this is not, it's not just like some um, like, you know, nice, nice thing that they decided to do all of a sudden there's like actual like resentment <laughs> I yeah, think that spurs yeah. it on. And he's right. I think Jean Colon's art this year is so, so except for all those thighs. Uh, those are great. More thighs. More thighs, please. <laughs> Always. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So thanks, Chris. Good letter. I like this this next one. Hey, Dave and Zach. Not really a question in here, but I'd like to take a moment to talk about Alicia Masters. There's a lot happening in these issues every year, and it's easy to forget our supporting cast in the shadow of their superpowered acquaintances. But I really feel Alicia deserves a moment in the spotlight for several reasons. For obvious starters, in a seemingly never-ending parade of dated sexism, Alicia is a shining example of a strong female character. Her relationship with Ben is beautiful, Reed should take some pointers on how to treat the women he loves, and has had significant impact on his character development. To me, it's the single most compelling romance so far. She's also the most positively viewed handicapped person. Her blindness is never ignored, but it's used against her even less than Daredevil, and she doesn't have his heightened senses. Despite being blind and female, not the most promising of traits in the Silver Age, Alicia holds her own. She's been used as the damsel in distress only a couple of times, despite frequent exposure to danger. In fact, despite her lack of power, she's had more significant plot impact than most other secondary characters. She saved the Fantastic Four from the Frightful Four by firing a signal flare, putting her life on the line in the process. And she was pivotal in the Galactus saga by inspiring the Silver Surfer to defy Galactus, entirely on her own without any involvement from the Fantastic Four. With her quiet dignity, her perceptive nature, and her ability to bring out the best in others, Alicia is a model character, as a woman, as a handicapped person, and just as a normal person finding they have a place in the company of superheroes. Can't wait to see what's in store for her next. Peter. I really like this letter. Peter's talked about Alicia a couple times in the Slack, and he's totally right in all the ways that I complain specifically about how um, patronizing they are about Daredevil's blindness. They're not about Alicia, which is kind of interesting yeah no this is a really good letter i i think too like we talk a lot because it stands out as as that casual sexism of reed and sue's relationship we don't necessarily talk as often about like how good alicia and ben are together you know yeah. when when yeah. ben's not having those this man this monster feelings um right like like alicia is is really grounded and uh like emotionally available for ben and just like the nicest person you know like can you think of like a nicer character in marvel right now than than alicia like she's got such a good very she's got an interesting uh inner life and she's got her own career sculpting Mm -hmm. um and yeah all kinds of interesting stuff going on with her and i think i think we you know maybe done her a little discredit by not talking about her more yeah, she's, you know what would actually be a really fun miniseries would be like an Alicia Masters sculptor miniseries, which is like about her like running her business and like dealing with yeah, clientele, sure. purchasing sculptures. And then, of course, there'd be some supervillain hijinks. There's um, an issue of the Fantastic Four coming up that I think we skip that I might be including for extra issues where she gets kidnapped because there's some monster in the dark that's 
<laughs> Some people are like for him, him, right? And they're just like, well, we can't, we can't look upon his face, so let's send in a blind woman to touch his face and then sculpt him for us, <laughs> which is a really funny plot line. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, she's really interesting, and especially Ben and her relationship. Yeah, everything he said is totally spot on. I don't even know if I have that much more to add. Yeah, no, great letter, and she's a she's a great supporting character who probably doesn't get enough due. Um, I there's a lot I don't like about what's. Um, what's coming <laughs> for Alicia? Oh, but I think okay. at, Great. at this point, yeah, yeah. At this point, uh, I quite like her. Yeah, and she kind of did save everyone from Galactus, huh? Like, do you think With that, Silver I Surfer? Mean, you mean? Yeah. How would that yeah, play right. out if uh, if she didn't convince the Silver Surfer to to help out? Well, that's what um, I was gonna say. Is like she has such a good heart and such an optimism for humanity, which, like, like Peter points out, being blind and and a woman in the Silver Age here, like to have that kind of like graciousness towards the rest of humanity Mm -hmm. is kind of astounding um and it's i don't know it's like kind of like take off the cynicism take off the the concern and like see what's good and alicia's able to do that uh every step of the way yeah yeah and you want to read the last one Uh, hey guys thanks for the podcast and all the other great work you're doing to build this community it's been a blast one of the things I'm enjoying about 1966 is the dramatic or melodramatic issue titles across the Marvel lineup, like FF's If This Be Doomsday, Strange Tales, Lo, The Egg Shall Hatch. <laughs> That's a good one. Not one we read, but it's got to be the title of the year. If you could give this podcast episode a title in the Lee Kirby style, what would it be? That's a good question. Um. Okay. Big boys strike again. Big boys strike again. Wow. That's going to bring <laughs> uh, in the listeners. Yeah. Um, just to... Big Daddy's yapping. <laughs> <laughs> Again, like I think we're gonna get a different audience than maybe you expect. Um, I would do something like, "Lo, there shall be comics." <laughs> um, let me take this in a new direction. Daddy and the big boy. Daddy and the big boy. <laughs> wow. That's all I have. I I just have daddies and big boys on my mind. <laughs> yeah, apparently. That's all. That's the only thing I can think of. Um, I can change that to our subtitle. Let me log in here and uh, my marvelous year subtitle, Daddy. Yeah, and the here's big boy. the thing though: you, who's Daddy and who's the big boy? I mean, I think it's pretty clear. All right, listeners, write into my marvelous year at gmail.com. <laughs> 1967's poll is going to be uh... who's Daddy? <laughs> who's the big boy? I honestly, here's the thing: I'm a literal dad, so I feel like I've got the edge here. Um, yeah, but what do you? I mean, what do you want to be? Do you want to be daddy or do you want to be the big boy? <laughs> let's let's leave that for our listeners to figure out. Yeah, okay. Continuing the letter, here's another question. As a new Marvel reader, one of the things that's tough to keep straight are the numerous characters who all seem to have ultimate cosmic power that Marvel's introduced over the last couple of years of comics. By my count, so far we've got Eternity and Doctor Strange, Galactus and Fantastic Four, and now Ego and Thor. And each of these seems to be intergalactic beings with pretty much complete power. I assume the differences between these characters will get fleshed out more in the years to come, and I also assume we'll meet more characters in the Cosmic Pantheon. But at this point in Marvel history, which of these ultimate beings would you say is the ultimate-ist? Thanks again, Ben. Um, you forgot Pace Pop Pete, but that's fine. Um, right, so we're limiting this to Cosmic Eternity, Galactus, Ego, and Pace Pop Pete. Right. No, no, we can't include PPP because uh, he wasn't mentioned. Yeah, clearly just an oversight. I, I don't see Obviously. Stiltman either. I, I feel like this list... Maybe he's just strapped for time or something. No, good good question. Yeah, did you that, see... Good letter. Did, you, did I tell you someone came into the Slack channel and immediately made their profile picture Stiltman? Yeah, of course just, they did. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> I felt like that was a very personal attack. Here's the thing. If you get banned by Zach for pro Stiltman, if you get banned by Zach for pro Stiltman, pro Secret Wars, or pro Dave is Daddy uh, thoughts, you can reach out to me at Comic Book Herald, and I will get you back in. Don't worry. Okay, so you're voting uh, to be the big daddy of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's where I've cited. Um, okay, so the the question here yeah, is yeah, the yeah. ultimatist. I mean, I think Eternity. Eternity yeah, yeah, I think that's... Pick. that's it. He's the biggest cosmic being. Um, he's going to, I think, in many ways remain the biggest cosmic being. He is the embodiment of Eternity. Right, he, he's like an abstraction massive. of an idea rather than... Because yeah, you feel like Galact- Galactus and Eo are both cosmic powers, but they feel more grounded in... Like, they actually exist. They have physical bodies, something like that. But, like, yeah. Eternity... Well, actually, Galactus, that kind of gets messed with in a little bit uh, in interesting ways. But Eternity definitely feels just like he is the personification of a metaphysical idea. And that just puts him on a different tier for me. Yeah, Galactus and Ego report into Eternity, I think. You know, like, he's the boss um, mm-hmm. kind of thing. I There will be other, like, yeah, definitely the cosmic abstractions will get fleshed out a little bit more but eternity mm-hmm. remains uh he's he's always pretty high at the top of that list to the point that if something <laughs> happens to eternity you know you know what's on because that means somebody has attained a level of power that is pretty insane yeah i i like the cosmic the way that they're building up the the big cosmic universe here there'll be some interesting oh we saw i wrote down for extra issues the stranger and he becomes part of this Right, he's like he's a big cosmic guy. I don't know what his deal is, but uh, he's I would put him lower tier than Galactus he, I, or Ego, okay. uh, but he's in the conversation. Okay, yeah, yeah, he's in extra issues and it's terrible. Don't bother reading it. But um, yeah, yeah, the Stranger never in... totally works for me. In in the similar ways that the Phantom Stranger never really works for me in DC. Maybe it's just the name. I you know Stranger Danger like they tell you just don't trust them, and then I can't just get into <laughs> and the then comics. you trust them and yeah. just, and they let me down. Just get hurt again. Yeah. Uh, okay. So thanks for all the feedback, everybody. Great letters this year. Um, if you want to get your feedback in for 1967, those episodes are going to be coming out on April 15th and April 22nd. Uh, so if you want to get us feedback, please do so by April 23rd. You want to jump into our heroes and villains for this year? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah let me go first. Yep, yeah, I'll start here. Okay, so... Uh, this is Patreon backer Stephen Taylor. Thank you very much for your backing, Stephen. Okay, so Stephen's backstory <laughs> is uh, he's vacationing off the coast of Virginia or vacationing on the coast and out on a boat and it uh, <laughs> there's a storm, it capsizes, and he washes up on an island. And if you know uh, out on the coast there's Chincoteague and Assateague, which are, they have a bunch of wild horses, this is... A third hidden island of <laughs> secret island of horses. I need you to be responding to this as I go because it's just going to be too dumb if I'm just talking at <laughs> length about this. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting no feedback from you. <laughs> okay, secret uh, okay. isle, secret isle of horses. Carry on. Uh, okay. Is it like the Isle of Dogs? I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. All right, so he finds himself washed up on this island and uh, starts surviving. Very similar to like a Green Arrow story. Uh, except this island's full of horses and he over many years of scraping out a living attains a real affinity for horses (laughs) and 
communicating and controlling horses. So when he comes back to the mainland, he decides to use his ability to control horses to go on a crime spree. And he takes the name the naysayer <laughs> it was all, all build up for that yeah name. okay that worked out that paid off <laughs> the naysayer very good very i'm sorry good. that it took so long to get to that, that yeah. joke but no that was buck wild all right so steve steven you are now the naysayer and we'll uh i mean depending on how many people we get doing this we have five this week we're gonna try to shuffle through these and we'll probably try to build up <laughs> these stories a little bit as time goes on. All right, so we got our first villain, the naysayer. Um, the one, the next one that I have is uh, another villain, actually. This is patron Dan Heath. Thank you for your support of my marvelous year, Dan. And the villain name that I have for Dan Heath is the terrible Toffiend. T O F F I E. Oh, yeah, I got it. Like Toffee and Fiend. You got it. You got it. Okay. Here's the thing. One hand has the properties of sugar. The other hand, the properties of butter. When he smashes his hands together, it forms an incredibly dense, hard candy that he then uses to smash in to banks and other places of nefarious deeds to take what is rightfully his. I just got this because his last name is Heath? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's real good. Yep. So Dan Heath, the terrible Toffiend, look out. He is on a rampage, and here's the thing. Do his hands taste sweet? Yes. Do they feel sweet? <laughs> Maybe not. Do they feel sweet? What does that mean? You'll have to find out, Zach. Okay. All right. Uh, next up, we've got backer Keith Bartley. He walked into a mysterious pawn shop, and in it was a, a tablet, uh, like a brand new, unbranded tablet. that uh, Not like a stone tablet electronic tablet an unbranded stone tablet go on (laughs) yeah no an electronic tablet for uh for like writing and drawing for like 20 bucks and it looked like a great deal so he picked it up when he walked out of the place and turned around pawn shop gone pretty soon realizes this tablet allows him to whenever he draws anything uh he can bring it out of the tablet bring it to life Hmm. a la the green lantern Mm-hmm. except that he has no control over it so <laughs> once he draws something and something uh, else comes out yeah so he no, draws no, no, like no. a tiger and then something totally different comes out no 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 and then a tiger comes out but he doesn't have control over the tiger it's not oh, like green okay. yeah 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 so like don't draw a tiger because then now you just got a tiger now you just hands. got a wild tiger yeah 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 so the thing he's basically can draw anything as long as he draws it accurately enough he can uh manifest it into the real world but what then, if it's uh, like so like i've been having this thing where my son mm-hmm. asked me to z- draw a zebra and mm-hmm. i just can't do it like i can see a zebra in my head but every time i start drawing it it's a dinosaur it's a snake it's a whale with a fez like it's yeah. never a zebra what happens if he tries to draw something <laughs> and he can't do it i mean if he draws like a real horrible zebra with you know that clearly just like its spine is twisted and broken it's just gonna uh-huh. come out this like mushy pile of like oh, just like, a, like a horror like a horror creature, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's got to be real careful about okay. that. Okay, we'll draw uh, carefully. His, his superhero name is Screenshot. Screenshot. That's good. I like it. Yep. All right, cool. My next one is from patron Peter Parsons. Thank you, Peter, for your support uh, of My Marvelous Year. So Peter, he was out for lunch as a young boy. He's 12, 13, let's say, maybe 14 even. And uh, he's going out to lunch, and he's going to get some fried chicken in Chicago, probably in, like, the Lincoln Park neighborhood, let's say. 
and he gets his order of fried chicken. But as he's placing his order for a chicken sandwich, <laughs> behind him walks up a radioactive fried chicken, and it bites him on the hand. All right? Okay. So, like, half half alive, half fried, this chicken walks up, and it bites him. And it turns him into, when he goes home later that day, all of a sudden he has these powers, and he can't uh-huh. stop clucking. He's turned okay. into the colossal chick man. Chick hyphen man. <laughs> okay. And tragedy follows thereafter. So he's got these cool powers. He's excited. He's like, man, I've got Wait, all what the power. It, the powers? The powers cluck? of chicken. <clears throat> like the proportional strength of a chicken? He's got the proportional strength of a chicken. Uh-huh. Um, he can eat as many seeds as you give him. Uh, <laughs> he... <laughs> He can't quite fly, but he can try. Um, if you pick him up and hold him over your head and jump off a tight, tall ledge, <laughs> okay. you can float down very comfortably to an area below you. So he's got okay. all the powers of a chicken. and uh, But he's excited about this, and he's kind of, you know, he's showing off for some people, right? He's, he's kind of getting a little arrogant and trying to make some money off these cool colossal chick man powers. And he has the opportunity to stop a, a robber from uh from escaping and he says stealing to, all the feed from stealing sure yeah they're stealing feed and he says to the police officer who sees him he says you know that's not my problem i'm a chick man and uh then he goes home and what should happen but his uncle hen was shot and killed <laughs> so, it's so dumb uncle hen <laughs> You jerk. So he lost his Uncle Hen, and now, as the colossal chick man, he vows to avenge his his poor, poor Uncle Hen. So that's that's Peter's, uh, Peter's hero. So look forward to more of that. I was just like, where are you going with this? This is just Spider-Man. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> oh, I, sh- I maybe should point out uh, Parsons is a uh, chicken restaurant in Chicago. Oh, is it? Oh, yep. okay. Oh, you, you really did something with their names. I Peter didn't, Parsons. <laughs> I didn't yep. go that way. Um, okay, finally, we've got uh, Christina Cantabell here, and her, she is a villain that goes by the name of uh, Lalo Lacrozzi, and she is, we, we actually, we asked everybody how serious or ridiculous of a hero or villain she wants to be, and Christina said, super serious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Okay. She said as serious as it gets, because if she's not, like, one of those high-tier supervillains, how will she ever date Dr. Doom? <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So, Lalo Locrozzi is known worldwide for her fashion line. Um, kind of like a multi-conglomerate, huge, huge uh, worldwide clothing line, where just the name Lalo enough is, uh, like, synonymous with her designs of clothing. Sure. But uh, secretly, she goes by the the supervillain name Taylor Mm. to craft supervillain costumes. So basically, she's a designer of supervillain costume wear Mm -hmm. uh, that to to some nefarious ends on her own, seemingly just a a costume designer for the supervillains, kind of like an evil Edna Mole from Incredibles. Okay, I like I it, yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Except that there's something else going on that she's she's baking something else into those costumes. She has a larger plan than just making money. Ooh. And, well, yeah, we'll get into that. A secret, a tease. I like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so that's, very good. That's Lalo Lacrozzi Taylor, the Taylor. I think the Taylor cuz Taylor just sounds like Taylor Swift. <laughs> I think you got to say, say the. It's got to have the a Taylor. Yeah. yeah. Right. 
Um, cool. So if you if you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed doing it, I think, um, head on over to <laughs> patreon.com slash my marvelous year. And uh, at the at the certain $10 tier level, level, $10 tier level, uh, we will create a hero just for <clears throat> you. So yeah. but of course, any support is greatly appreciated at any tier you can do, um, as well as just talking to your friends. Cool. So I think that's going to do it for this variant cover app. Um, again, everything here is uh, My Marvelous Year. You can go on over to MyMarvelousYear.com to find all the reading lists that we are doing. Uh, and of course, you can find us on any of the social channels that you like. You can also get the list through the Patreon or the Comic Book Herald uh, email newsletter club. That's right. Stay tuned after the credits for a little bit of outtakes and deleted scenes. Uh, our music this week and every week is by Disaster Piece. How you spell you it, Zach? Find, uh, D-I-S-T-A-T-S-T-P-A-C-S-T-R. <laughs> oh, no. <P-A-C-S-T-R. laughs> never start uh, with Disaster. You'll never make it. <laughs> I can do Disaster. D-I-S-T-A... No. Disaster. <laughs> You're leaving out some letters. Some crucial letters. Anyway, it's P-E-A-C-E, not P-I-E-C-E. <laughs> you must have been felt so vindicated when I, I found that person who spelled it wrong. I sure did. I <laughs> yeah. sure did. Um, yeah, so... Our music is by Disaster Piece. Find their stuff on Spotify, Bandcamp, uh, wherever you find music. Wherever you find music. Outside at a park. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. Otherwise, we will see you next year. See you next year. But, I mean, I'll fully admit here, like, I have a vested interest. Like, I'm covering it for Compa Carol. That's a big part of why my site exists. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm. it's like there's a business portion to this as well i had nothing to say that. <laughs> <laughs> <Good feedback>. sorry <laughs> sorry i was looking at the next letter <laughs> i will call out to iso 36 uh i don't know if you ever played like uh the marvel mobile games but iso 8 Mm-mm. is this like like uh all-purpose kind of currency slash like yeah. thing you collect in their okay. games these days um, and it's kind of got roots if you look back here at uh, at ISO 36, I think. Oh, they could have just called it ISO 36. And been a, been I don't know why they it. switched it to 8. I, that's actually been, well, that's a that's a whole conversation. It's a hot point of contention in the Marvel community. Yeah, that is a serious, <laughs> serious thing to yeah. talk about. Okay, People are in an uproar. And uh, one detail that I observe here, which is not specific to the coming of Galactus, and let me crinkle my paper while I'm not talking about it. Uh, ben Grimm has four fingers. Did you know this? I did not notice this. This is the what? first time I noticed this. I don't. I haven't gone to other issues to check. I'm just assuming that that's been true the entire time. But this is the first time it stood out to me, and I thought, he lost a finger when he transformed. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, weird. I'm trying to find like another clear shot of... Oh, yeah. I'm looking at like 51. So He's got four fingers. If anybody finds a five-fingered Ben Grimm, let us know. MyMarvelousYearGmail.com. Yeah, those are lucky. Yes. Sorry. I'm on, I am I have the Wikipedia page for this, or the Marvel fandom wiki pulled up, which has the list of like all the characters in here. <laughs> and I just glanced up, and there's one listing here for other characters. Phil, only appearance. <laughs> Phil. <laughs> Who the hell's Phil? <laughs> uh. Oh, I was reading through, I'm going to get through them, but all the like, Dave's extra issues for 1967. Okay. Uh, the only one I want to throw in right now that I've seen is the first Thor. I think is really good. Okay. I think it's a really good issue and worth talking about. And then the rest are like, yeah, this is fine, but. Okay, sweet.
Yeah, and we don't have any Thor otherwise, so that's probably a good addition. But we do have two Daredevils. That's surprising. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, okay, we'll get into it. I like... Um, <gasps> still, man. Yeah, I'm real excited <laughs> for next year. God, I just looked at the list again. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah.